Hey everyone, welcome to episode 142 of the N-Focus podcast. I'm your host Andy Corrigan, with me as always is Andrew Brown. Nintendo Directs come to light the way forward, but all lights go out. <laughs> and Tori Wasana. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, waza waza. Waka so yeah, packed, waka! Uh, episode... <laughs> He's a waza. <laughs> packed episode this week, uh, we've got a Nintendo Direct to talk about, finally... Uh, I'm going to give updates on Bowser's Fury and uh, Ashen's DLC. Uh, we're going to talk about the news from BlizzCon. Uh, and then we're going to talk about Door Kickers, 80s Overdrive, Persona 5 Strikers, and Cathedral. So uh, with that, let's get on to updates from the previous episode. <laughs> Okay, just uh, two updates from me this week. So first off, I uh, I finished Bowser's Fury during the week. I 100%ed it. Couple of things that I wanted to talk about with that. So, firstly, like a lot of the common sentiment about Bowser's Fury has been that it feels like an experiment, but I do not feel that way. Um, other than the open world element and Bowser occasionally doing dummy spits, uh, it's it's fairly usual Mario 3D things. Um, they're all fun things to do, and the levels are really well designed and as creative as ever. But it still felt like Mario things. That's not a negative. Mario things is a a positive thing. Like that, it's fun things to do. Uh, one of the problems I I got with it was that although it's short, the pacing is very weird. So I'll explain that a little bit by. If you're trying to be a completionist as you go through the game, and that's getting every shine in every level before you move on to the next one, uh, it'll force you into the final co- confrontation like way too early. So like I had 47 stars, uh, and then it was at that point the game advised me that Bowser was way too furious to leave me alone, which meant he was just a constant presence and made getting those last three stars to trigger the boss fight really annoying. And it was the final boss fight, so like credits rolled i'd technically beaten the game without stepping foot in at least three of the most interesting worlds that it has to offer uh i went back in and and played through them they were all pretty simple to get the stars i had fun getting all the stars out in the the open seas so yeah it's a good game just weird pacing uh despite being short and uh yeah i didn't think it was as experimental as people uh are leading others to believe so uh yeah, uh, good game. Glad it's uh, packed in with 3D World. Uh, having played both, I still think 3D World is the star of the show, to be honest. So that's Bowser's Fury. Ashen. So I spoke two episodes ago about how much I enjoyed Ashen. It's a, a stylized take on the Dark Souls formula. Uh, so I liked it enough after beating it that I get the DLC. So I got the DLC. Uh, it has a really obtuse way of being able to access it. There's no mission markers, no clue on how to find it. I had to Google. Uh, basically, I had to find a character who's in one of the earlier areas hidden under a giant creature that you can't engage with in the main main game. He tells you about an island and offers to sail you there, uh, and that's when you start getting the mission chain for it. Uh, so with that, the DLC is basically one new area, one new quest chain, and one new boss fight. Uh, I was a bit disappointed with it in a couple of ways but some of that relates to the fact that I've I've come to this after beating the main game so I'll go into that in a second. So first of all the name Nightstorm Isle to me conjures this idea of an interesting island uh, especially with this visual style I would expect like alien features and all that sort of stuff. You get there and it starts really well. The uh, 
the island itself looks really hostile and alien looking as i just said uh but then the main mission quickly takes you on underground and that's pretty much where you stay for the whole time which is kind of disappointing so you only get hints of the the interesting uh individual like level elements there you will fight new enemies they're called brawl uh and when you first meet them they're they're kind of feral and they're they're kind of like what you'd get if you crossed baraka from mortal Kombat with the the Dilophosaurus from Jurassic Park but also made out of plants so it's kind of like a vegan baraka <laughs> yeah that uh, they're, they're fun to fight but nothing out of the ordinary uh, the the most notable difference with the Brawl are some are magic and can buff the others that are fighting with you so you need to target those first so that, that's the only real exciting combat change up you get from the DLC other disappointments so you can actually play the DLC at any time during the main game uh, but the devs recommend doing it after you've finished one of the particular companion's uh, quests. If you've beat Nash already, like I have, uh, so what happens is Dark Souls, when you beat it, will spit you into New Game Plus automatically. You have no choice in that until later entries. When you beat Ashen, it only keeps your last save before you beat the final boss, so you can jump in there, everything's as you left it ahead of the final boss, and you can go off and do whatever you want. Uh, so because that was my starting point, the whole area was really easy like i was way overpowered for it so yeah i just breezed through it in, in like 90 minutes it was super easy uh other things is any loot that you grab on nightstorm isle or inside nightstorm isle is worse than what you've already got from the main game which makes that kind of pointless so yeah um i recommend if cost effective that you get ashen and the dlc at the same time and then play through the dlc at the point that the devs recommend uh, I would not recommend coming into it after the fact and then going through because you just you lose a lot of the design intent just by being way overpowered for it. Uh, and I didn't really get much reward from it. The even the the final boss in the DLC was really easy. Pick it up with the main game, play it while you're going through. Don't don't come back to it afterwards. So with that, uh, let's move on to the Nintendo Direct. Okay, some fun facts before we get into the news from the Direct. Uh, it, it has been more than 530 days since the last proper Nintendo Direct. That's uh, non-partner Directs, non-mini Directs, non-indie Directs. Uh, the last full Direct that we've got here is September 4th, 2019. Which is... A long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. Uh, just to put that in pers- perspective, this is episode 142. Uh, we were still Switch focused back then, and we were on episode eighty nine. <laughs> doesn't even seem possible. <laughs> uh, uh, I can't get my head around that. Uh, and featured in that direct was Overwatch, Luigi's Mansion Three, Terry Bogard in Smash, Animal Crossing: New Horizons, and Xenoblade Chronicles Remastered. Which none of those seem that far away. So, <laughs> oh my god. Uh, so yeah, uh, how we've been starved for an event like this. So uh, what will happen is we'll just run through the news. If uh, we have anything to say, we'll go over it and, uh, yeah, uh, pick apart what we what we like about it and what we want from it. Uh, so the first announcement was uh, that uh, Pyra and Mithra, both the same character, coming to Smash Ultimate. Yeah, Andrew, you, you were quick to make the point here that uh, this is a massive story spoiler for Xenoblade Chronicles 2. One oh the, well. Big... <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, you also get the R S level, and we're presuming music. 
uh, interesting. Although it's another sword character, you can switch between uh, both of Pyra's personalities at will, seemingly. So that changes up the combat a little bit. But yeah, so it's two swords for the price of one. Yeah. <laughs> um, interestingly, they actually count as two separate fighters on the Smash website. So but... we might be getting two amiibo. Pyra and Mithra. Yeah. That's, that's true. That would be a plus, but does that mean we get one less DLC character? No, it doesn't. <laughs> oh, uh, it's still in the same <laughs> fighter pack. Um, I called a Xenoblade Chronicles 2 character in this fighter's pass quite a while ago, but I was mm-hmm. expecting Rex yep. being assisted He's... by either Pyra, Mithra, and maybe a third blade to kind of mimic... Um, Pokemon trainer, but like a blend between Pokemon trainer and Ice Climbers. Uh, I mean, you were fair in that assumption because, you know, Rex is the main character and the two girls are literally objectified because they're swords. <laughs> so you, you you wouldn't have expected the sword to be the star. Or not. I do prefer it this way, though. Yeah, I, I think this is more interesting. But again, more sword characters. Yeah. A lot of heroes fight with swords. That's the unfortunate truth in Japanese games. <laughs> uh, next up was uh, Fall Guys Ultimate Knockout, uh, a game I got on PS Plus but criminally have not played. Uh, I don't know how well that's still tracking. I feel like the zeitgeist has fallen off a little bit. Um, either of you guys played that? Yeah, I played quite a bit of it on PC. It's actually really frustrating to play. <laughs> I love the idea, but just the, the, the virtue of there being other people playing it with you means that your experience can be quite toxic mm-hmm. um yeah I, I stopped playing it because of that uh, it's literally one of those games that appeals to me just because i don't have to work in a team and i can screw other people over exactly there are team games. yeah <laughs> uh andrew i don't think you've played this have you no uh, i was interested until i found out that it's actually a priced game i assumed it was free to play because you know it's 2021 and it's a a multiplayer game but uh apparently (laughs) not so you know the it being a multiplayer game an online multiplayer game that gives it a limited shelf life that alone makes me incredibly reluctant to spend money on it so Mm -hmm. uh probably not yeah it was it was free to play in the sense that they gave it away with ps plus day one just to give it like an instant boost of uh users but uh, yeah, other than that, no fully paid game. Uh, that's coming in quarter three. Also coming in quarter three is Outer Wilds, uh, which uh, I should have played when it was on Game Pass, uh, but never got round to. It looks really interesting. It's kind of like space exploration crossed with uh, trying to piece together a story of what's happening to the universe by replaying events. Um, it concept is definitely interesting. I've seen some very smart people say that they struggled with it. Um, which makes me worried about me struggling with it. But uh, yeah, definitely interested in that. Haven't played it, really interested in playing it now that I I actually know what it's about. Up until now, all I knew (laughs) was it was that game that came out very close to and had a name very similar to The Outer Worlds. So (laughs) (laughs) Outer Worlds and The Outer Wilds, both space travel games came out within a couple months of each other. It was very confusing for a little while. (laughs) But you got to explore this system and find out something and time resets every 22 minutes kind of a mini majeure's mass mm-hmm. thing or a or an expanded minute mm-hmm. so i'm into that uh, i am looking mm-hmm. at what the game is i am kind of concerned how well it's going to run on switch and 
what the draw distance is going to be, uh, but we'll see what happens. Uh, next up is uh, Famicom Detective Club, uh, The Missing Air, and The Girl Who Stands Behind. They're coming on May 14th, officially localized in English for the first time. I like detective visual novels. These ones didn't strike me as something that I wanted to play. Uh, how about you two? It kind of piqued my interest a little. I was interested in them for the history because you know these were Famicom games, hence the title. Uh, but mm-hmm. especially when I saw how much they cost, they're like thirty-five, forty dollars each. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> so probably not. Yeah, I don't know if it was just the trailer was bad, but I thought it was a double pack. Um, and then it wasn't until I saw your notes that it was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so more. Uh, Muso games coming, Samurai Warriors 5, that's coming in quarter 3. Uh, no interest in that outside of the franchises uh, that I like, but hey, more, more Muso. There are lots of fans of that, can't be disappointed. Legend of Mana, uh, that's coming June 24th, that's definitely one I think Andrew will be interested in. Oh yeah, this uh, I've been pushing, I don't think I've mentioned it on the show, but I've been pushing on my Twitter timeline for this game to come to Switch for a long time. Uh, Legend of Mana is the fourth game in the Mana series, I think. Maybe the fifth, but I'm pretty sure it's the fourth. Uh, it starts off as a completely blank slate, and you're just given this little icon that you can drop on a on an empty map, and that's where your house is. And as you play the game, your house fills up with like this garden where you can grow plants, and like this farm where you can raise animals to fight on your side, and like a blacksmith where you can craft your own weapons and armor, and uh, a golem shop where you can actually take equipment that you've crafted in your blacksmith and actually program golems who will fight on your side and it's it's programming and you <laughs> you as you play through the story you unlock these other icons that you can place anywhere you want on the map and the order and the locations you put these icons in determine which missions appear uh in those locations after you drop them so there's a lot of incentive to keep playing the game over and over and over again <laughs> Why wasn't this game just a huge hit? Because it came out in 1999. This game came out yeah. 15, 20 years too soon. I think this thing's going to be huge once people get another chance to play it. Uh, yeah, when I saw it, I, I was uh, I, I was struck by how um, ambitious it was for the era that it was released. But uh, yeah, I've still not finished any of the other Mana games. Um, so I should get on that for sure, because this one looks really interesting. And I don't want to play this one without playing the others because i'm just that way inclined well i've been replaying the collection of mana games like i played them all for the podcast back in september in 2019 and then i replayed them again because i want to do written reviews for my website and i realized as i was doing this these games don't really hold up anymore (laughs) they're not very good (laughs) uh but i have hopes that i'll play legend of mana and i'll be like yes this is this is excellent or Unfortunately, maybe it'll be as uh, janky and old feeling and outdated as the other Mana games have felt. <laughs> uh, sorry, you played it? Oh, sorry. Are you interested in this one? Probably not. It's uh, I don't remember even watching this part of the direct because I probably just saw Mana and glossed over. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, next up was uh, Monster Hunter Rise, which we always knew was coming March 26. Um, just as an aside, I played the demo this weekend and liked it a lot. I thought it was a better demo than I've previously played for this series. Um, and I really enjoyed the handling uh, and the quality of life things. Uh, it was good enough that it made me delete 
uh, Gen Ultimate from my Switch, and <gasps> I will wait for this. I'm I'm probably going to grab it digital. I did actually go back to Gen Ultimate immediately after playing the demo, and it was so unbearably clunky that I could not <laughs> carry on with it. So, yeah, uh, I'm very much uh, looking forward to this one. It's kind of, for a series I really bounce off consistently but keep giving extra chances, this is the the closest I've felt to, like, being in with the handling on on it. Um, I was switching all the, going through all the character classes, you know, retrying the missions. I've only got, like, 20 attempts or something left. But, um, yeah, I can't settle on one because I could not beat the... Uh, I can't pronounce it, Mitsuzani or Mitsuni monster. Oh, yeah. Just could not get it down. I, I came close uh, with the sword and shield, I think. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Craig, our sound guy, and I, we played that. We, we double teamed that one. We couldn't even get her down. Because we, we wow. ended up doing research for on what this thing is. You're talking about the bubble dragon, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We ended up looking to research this. This was like one of the big boss monsters, like one of the four like top tier boss monsters in one of the last ones. Oh, okay. Like, You're putting this out <laughs> in the demo. What is wrong with you people? <laughs> um but yeah, I, I love the the uh the dog whose name escapes me at the moment. Um the cat no longer makes the most annoying noise as it tracks you through the level as it did in Gen Ultimate, which almost made me turn that off immediately when I went back into it. It's just like, wah, 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 every step. It's like, shut up! Ah. Like, honestly, if I just wanted to be yelled at by cats, I'd just exist in my house. Uh. <laughs> so yeah, uh, the, the demo actually made me more interested in that, so yeah, I think I'll get it. Uh, next up was one of the big surprises, uh, Mario Golf Super Rush, coming June 25th. Uh, has Joy-Con motion controls, has a speed golf mode, which looked uh, frantic and fun. Uh, And then the thing that I was actually waiting for before I committed to buying it was the story mode that has RPG character development, which the series hasn't really had since the Game Boy version, I understand. (laughs) We, We were chatting during the week and like, Golf as a sport I do not like, but golf in video games I adore. And that can be sim video games, that can be light-hearted stuff like everybody's golf, or even uh, just this. This this looks right up my alley, so I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, Tori, your dislike of golf might not get you through, I saw. Um, the speed golf mode looks really fun. I don't know what it is about that one specifically, but yeah, it, it I like that sort of frantic gameplay uh also gives me hope that we'll get mario strikers at some point that would be I, i'd play that yeah. for sure uh yeah so um next up tales from the borderlands coming march 24th that's the telltale game that's a kind of a spin-off and you know many people incorrectly will say it's the best borderlands game in the series uh that's two by the way if anyone's wondering what I'm going getting at there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, telltale storylines, uh, decisions to make, fun characters, good jokes in, in the Borderlands world. Um, I bounced off after f- the first episode purely because of other stuff, but also I felt like that episode was too long and I didn't want to sit there for two and a half hours every time. Um, and I just never got to it, despite wanting to. Um, Andrew, I can see you replaying this. Yes... But I already own it on PlayStation 4, so I'm not buying mm-hmm. it on Switch until it has a pretty great price drop, but mm-hmm. that's just because it's going to be the same experience in either place, so I just I don't yeah. feel the need to spend full price for it again. But having said that, this is the best thing Telltale ever made, even including The Walking Dead. And 
<laughs> it's just amazing how much soul I guess they brought to Borderlands. Like, I, I was really hoping Borderlands Three, which I actually haven't even played yet, uh, would uh, incorporate a lot of what Tales from the Borderlands brought to it. Like Tales from the Borderland actually took Scooter, the redneck incel, and made him endearing. It's in, it's amazing what they accomplished in this game. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a big yes, just don't expect to see me playing it until I can get it for a good price because I already own it on another platform. <laughs> and Tori, you a Borderlands fan? Um, this game is probably one of my favorite um, story-based sort of games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, played all five like as soon as they came out. Absolutely adored it. Um, but I don't know if I can really replay it again like Andrew. I don't want to spend money on it full price to play it again when I already own it on PS4. That's fair. But I highly recommend it to anyone who's just like a, even a casual fan of Borderlands. It's just stupid fun. <laughs> you don't even have to know much about Borderlands to enjoy this story. It's very approachable. Yeah, not really. There's a there's a couple like fan service moments where they just drop in characters that, you know, the fans would know. But it, yeah, it, but yeah. Like the main focus of the story is on original characters. So Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, next up is uh, Capcom Arcade Stadium that's available now. Comes free with 1943, top-down shooter. Uh, and Ghosts and Goblins is available for free for a limited time. I don't know if that's passed yet. Um, but the rest of the game you have to buy in packs. And I think you can buy an all-in-one uh, pass for like 70 bucks or something. Yeah, uh, yeah, I see no reason to get this unless you're really curious about Capcom's arcade history. I think I already own the the retro Capcom games that I want to own. Mm-hmm. The only Capcom history I care about is their console games. <laughs> I've never associated <laughs> Capcom with arcade games. <laughs> and there are always already like better ways to experience the likes of Street Fighter. And there are better ways on Switch. <laughs> yeah, there are like exactly. How many different versions of Street Fighter Two just on Switch? Like three. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Uh, so next up uh, was one I definitely didn't have on my bingo card, a revival for Stubbs the Zombie in Rebel Without a Pulse. That was originally uh, an Xbox game. Uh, Xbox exclusive, I think. So yeah, mm. that was uh, an interesting one. Interesting um, fact is that it runs on the Halo engine. I was about to ask Which you could, whether I was right in thinking. You can it. super tell when you look at the tank sequences. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up, uh, No More Heroes 3. August 27th. I, every trailer that I see for No More Heroes just does not endear me to it at all. Like, even though Tori has explained in depth what the previous two games are, I still have no idea what they are. <laughs> it's, um, it, it's like the video game version of Scary Movie, what that is to movies. Mm-hmm. So it's bad. <laughs> no! <laughs> like a, it's not bad, per se. It's just it's making fun of the medium while being a part of the medium. Yeah, so you're getting it, sorry? I don't know. I still it's, have to finish the first two. <laughs> it's the man sticking it to the man. <laughs> in the in the form of complying with the man. Okay, next up is Neon White, quarter four. An interesting looking take on uh, first person combat, but I don't know, the trailer came across like it'd be really clunky, so I, I want to see some impressions of that before I decide on that one way or the other. Yeah, I'm personally all about games that have interesting traversal things Mm. so i'm interested from that angle but everything else did kind of look like an unpolished indie game 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope that changes by the time it releases, but it really did look like a, they've just started doing an art pass on it. Mm-hmm. So not that it affects gameplay, it's just, um, it, it stood out to me. There was a lot of bloom, I think. It's made by Ben Esposito, who made uh, Donut County. So that that's weird. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Quite the departure. <laughs> All of those holds led to heaven full of demons. His name is on the title card anyway. I, I don't know exactly what his involvement is in it. but uh, Next up was DC Superhero Girls Teen Power. That's coming Next. June 4th. Looked like a, a kid-friendly brawl-em-up. Um, probably not my kind of thing. Finally, a game for girls. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, then uh, coming way too late to Nintendo Switch is Plants vs Zombies: Battle for Neighborville Complete Edition. That's coming March nineteenth. The game itself looks fun. Uh, no, not that active on Steam at the moment. Uh, I think Andrew did some research on that. Uh, yeah. I don't know how I feel. I played the first one when it went free once, and, you know, it was fun. It was a good time, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but Andrew did note that it runs on the Frostbite 3 engine, which is interesting, because that is an engine... Frostbite's an engine that they've had trouble running on on Switch, so that kind of opens up the porting possibilities from EA a little bit, so that's exciting. Um, but, if you know, if the game doesn't sell well, then they'll just say, oh, well, games don't sell on Switch, and then stop supporting it. So. <laughs> You can't win. Next up was Metopia. That's coming May twenty first. That is a pointless re-release of a, uh, you know, a semi-mediocre three DS game. If anyone remembers uh, Tomodachi Life, it's it's that, but turned into a JRPG. It's fine. I, I would have no interest in replaying that again. Yeah, uh, either of you two. I'm not paying full price to play it again. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed it on three DS. It's got really good music, but the new features are just what a horse and makeup. Yeah, the 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 most fun thing was just like putting in people you know as me's and then just seeing what stupid stuff it has them doing, much like Tumblr yeah, Life. It's kinda like Mad Libs. Um next up, uh, Animal Crossing's Super Mario thirty fifth anniversary themed items are finally coming, uh February twenty fifth. Uh, the most interesting thing coming from that was the warp pipe which works. That was cool. I think it's 25th for the update and 1st of March for the actual items. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I haven't jumped in for any of the recent events. I just couldn't be bothered. And if this is like the others, it's just going to be like a week, uh, week's length worth of chores. Mm, what they showed was just a list of things you buy. <laughs> you just go oh, okay. in and you just buy the stuff. Okay. In, in Animal Crossing, I'm richer than God, so I can probably <laughs> deal with that. Um, richer than God. I like it. Yeah, the next thing. That um, this this was my highlight of the the direct. You know, I'm a big uh, Octopath Traveler fan. Uh, this is kind of their next project in that same vein, but in, they're taking it from JRPG to uh, turn-based strategy. Uh, project Triangle Strategy coming 2022, which is way too long. But they they put out a demo asking for feedback. Uh, played through it yesterday. You get two combat missions, uh, a story. At a point, they place you in which no one has any hope of understanding whatsoever. <laughs> uh, I get why they did it, because they wanted people to do the exploration mode, and what characters say to you in that wouldn't make any sense, but I don't feel it would have made any difference. I think they should have just given us two combat missions. As with uh, games of its ilk, like 
you know, Final Fantasy Tactics and uh, Ogre Tactics, you can make uh, decisions that affect outcome, who joins you in your party, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Andrew picked up a... Uh, it could be a translation thing, but you definitely picked up on a, a words mean things kind of argument about the morality system they're using. Yeah. Is that my invitation to talk about this? Are we going to school now? Okay. At least according to the trailer, I haven't played the demo and I'm not going to because I'm just going to play the full game and that's fine. Uh, but the trailer explains you have three choices and your choices are based on utility liberty and morality uh utility and liberty or utilitarianism and libertarianism are already moral philosophies so in this concept in this context morality literally means nothing uh, I, I think what they're going for is a <laughs> faith-based deontology because i did see some kind of mention of some kind of church in there and I think they didn't just say deontology because nobody knows what deontology means, but it, it, it's an appeal uh, to the governing strictures of either your religion or your state. Uh, I think that's what that's going to, you know, probably fealty would probably be a better word than morality, uh, but we'll, we'll see what they go for. Mm -hmm. and I, I hope they update that for the final game. So, so yeah, as I said, I played the demo. Uh, I, I liked a lot what they had on offer. Uh, a lot of people had issue with the uh, voice acting. It's it's no better or worse than Octopath Traveler, but um, it's not helped by the fact of where they drop you in in the story because you don't know who you're meant to be rooting for, uh, who the characters are. Uh, but what it did really give you a good glimpse at is that what they do is they they put you in at like level eight, uh, and you can level up as you're playing. So every time your character does an action in in a mission, they'll get XP. You can get new abilities during a mission, which is really cool. Um, and uh, you, it's got like a kind of uh, bravely default system where every time you take a move, you get like a power point. Uh, I can't remember the the correct term. Uh, TP. Uh, and when you fill up enough of those, you can use more powerful abilities, uh, which is uh, really neat. And they give you a good range of characters. So you've got like uh, your main guy on horseback. You've got a, a stealthy rogue who can basically. They get two turns uh, every every round, and they can basically disappear using stealth. Uh, and there's a lot of um, strategy from you know stabbing people in the back or from up on high, which gives you increased damage. So like they were mega mega useful to get like people's health down and then you know finish them off with a cheeky backstab. Um, and there's a lot of like environmental stuff. So the second level, uh, you are like your city is under siege uh, and there are key points where you can destroy these statues that will just burn a whole portion of the ground and anything in it so there's a a lot of uh, really interesting things they're doing with that um so yeah uh, that definitely my highlight yeah tori i just cannot stand the art style of this and octopath i, what? I just what what i'm just gonna keep saying what over you fired <laughs> Wow. I know well, the... people adore it, and I know why people adore it. It just irks me, and I don't really fully understand it myself. Wow. I complained about it, too, a little wow. bit. When Octopath Traveler came out, I did criticize how aggressively blurry the game could be, and they, that wasn't done for performance reasons. That was their artistic choice, was to make some of the backgrounds so blurry you could barely see what they were. And looking at this... I think I, it's I, tilt-shifting. What's that? I think it's tilt-shifting to make it look like miniatures. Maybe. Uh, 
Well, I, I didn't even realize this, but I even looked back at Octopath Traveler and had the same impression, and I don't know why I didn't notice this before, is how much the graphics suddenly remind me of Final Fantasy Tactics, which also had, for the day, high-definition sprite characters on 3D environments. <laughs> I, did, I have no idea why I never mm-hmm. connected those lines before. I think it's just it's so many shades of brown in a lot of the yeah um, little set pieces or dioramas, and that just reminds me of that brown is real era of gaming <laughs> that's not the game's fault come on <laughs> anyway i'm gonna stop i'm gonna cut you off from talking from there um, before he explodes okay next next up uh there's a bunch of stuff here that i don't think we've got anything to say on but i'll pause on the ones that i think we will um just to get through a bit quicker so uh, star wars hunters uh which was just a logo <laughs> The, no gameplay, but apparently it's a free-to-play arena shooter from Zynga. Uh, yeah, screw those Hope guys. it has cross-play with Facebook. Um, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I was joking. Um, <laughs> me too. Okay. <laughs> that's why I said it's not. <laughs> uh, Knockout City, which looks like a, a straight uh, DVD rip-off of Wreck-It Ralph uh, coming May 21st. What? The, the characters in it were just uh, the, rip-offs of the rip-offs. I think you kind of... trailer characters... I think you kind of quit paying attention, yeah. I'm sorry, Tori, go ahead. Um, yeah, the, the trailer was made by a different company, and they knew nothing about the game. <laughs> that that comes across, yeah. because the game I is... I really remember where I read that. ...is a dodgeball game, and like all yeah. those characters that are like based on Warcraft and Fortnite and 2D, like retro platformers long may they reign those characters weren't even in the game <laughs> it was such a confusing trailer if i'd probably be more interested if the characters from the trailer were in the game yeah me too as they were but they're not it was the characters that i took exception to but the thing is there were still more interesting than just the fortnite clones that the actual in-game characters were <laughs> it's it's it was EA, wasn't it? EA Originals. So it, it's EA yeah. paying. Oh, okay. It's okay. EA publishing a indie developed game. Uh, that's May twenty first for people that are interested in that. Uh, May twenty eighth uh, is World End Club. Uh, I can't remember anything about this one. Isn't it the Danganronpa? It's a Danganronpa beat 'em up. Yeah. When I just saw every character riding like the tandem bicycle with twenty seats on it, I just started having a panic attack. It's like ah, too many people. I don't think this was in the direct I watched. Oh well. Hmm. Oh well. Okay, that's a that's a thing that exists. <laughs> uh, odd thing to announce in a direct, but Hades is getting a physical version March nineteenth. Uh, Andrew, are you buying it? Maybe someday. Uh, for the same it's like the same deal as Hollow Knight and Darkest Dungeon like if I had known this was coming I would have waited uh, instead of buying the digital version mm-hmm. and now I'm just going to keep an eye out for a $10 one for the physical release because I'm not paying $40 for something I already paid 30 or $20 for <laughs> not going to happen mm-hmm. Ninja Gaiden Master Collection so this is the trilogy right so that's uh, that's interesting um, this is a game I've never played. I think I own one and two on Vita, but never got around to playing them. Um, was one of them the one that was refused? Yeah. Oh no, not refused, but one of the first R18 games in Australia? Yeah, I think so. 
That would probably have been three. Yeah. I think, just from the, the timing. Uh, next up is Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity is getting an expansion pass, something that I did not want it to get. <laughs> uh, in, unless they're ret- uh, retconning in a, a better story. <laughs> uh, probably not going to pick Ooh. that up, because, yeah... Uh, it was all fine until it hit a certain point, and then I was like, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, the combat's probably... It's fun, but it's probably not fun enough to get me back in. I'll wait for the inevitable uh, re-release on the next Switch console. <laughs> Pack it in uh, with the original Hyrule Warriors. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hyrule Warriors collection. Definitive edition. Something like that. <laughs> definitive, definitive edition. <laughs> Ultimate Definitive collection. Uh, then we've got Bravely Default 2. That's next week, so we just, we'll just we skip past that. We're going to talk about that anyway. Um, Ghosts and Goblins Resurrection, February 25th. We both we all thought this looked terrible anyway, so we'll skip past that. Uh, Saga Frontier Remastered, uh, April 15th. Has either of you played Saga? Because nope. I haven't. The only thing I know about Saga is it's the games that were built on Final Fantasy 2, which... Ah, no thanks. <laughs> I love Final Fantasy 2. That's my favorite of the early games. But I am an outlier, in that, <laughs> so I will swiftly move on. Apex Legends is finally going to release on March 9th. Uh, actually looks run really nice from the trailer, so I'm definitely going to finally check out Apex Legends. Uh, then they did a infuriating uh, pump fake on Breath of the Wild 2 information. Uh, basically, more info coming later this year. Uh, instead, they announced uh, Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD release coming July 16th. Um, again, uh, I am an outlier on this because I think Skyward Sword is great, acknowledging that it has problems, but uh, you know, a lot of the time a bad Zelda game is still a very good video game compared to a lot of other video games. Uh, for accessibility reasons, I imagine... Uh, they're adding uh, physical controls so it uses the right joystick to handle the direction of the sword slashes. I think that's great, um, but I hope that the motion control stuff still holds up. Um, I've seen a lot of people complain about that, but I never had a problem with it in the original. Yeah, me either. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's the, they're getting themed Joy-Con controllers, which look pretty cool, uh, with some Zelda iconography that I'll probably rub off in time. which uh, leads us to the fact that they didn't mention Zelda's 35th anniversary at all Um, honestly given the fact that Mario uh, and his anniversary got its own direct I think they'll do the same with Zelda Uh, I don't think we need to worry there I think we've got a big Breath of the Wild 2 information drop coming up in the next couple of months so I'm not that concerned and I wasn't really that mad either I feel like if Skyward Sword is coming this year, then we're not getting Breath of the Wild 2 this year. I reckon that'll come next year at the earliest. Uh, I hardly I'm disagree. I'm predicting a Q4 release, holiday release for Breath of the Wild 2, personally. Mm-hmm. I, I reckon Christmas. And I'm thinking Twilight Princess and Wind Waker HD are also coming out this year. I know I'm putting a lot on the plate, <laughs> but that's my prediction for this year because... I want to believe in something again. And I also agree with you. And I also think we'll get a load of weird Zelda spin-offs that will be weirdly timed and they'll take <laughs> them away from us next year. Um, so, yeah, it's to come. They're going to recognize it. Zelda is the... Okay, it, yeah. for us, it's our favorite, in- um, favorite franchise. But for Nintendo, it's their second 
most popular franchise probably yeah. some people out there may be shocked to learn that in japan you know breath of the wild did pretty well but in japan zelda is kind of nintendo's b-tier stuff which is mm-hmm. disheartening but <laughs> don't get me started on metroid and metroid too metroid is c-list which is why nintendo isn't even acknowledging that it's also metroid's 35th anniversary this I year i think metroid's on a list uh, let's be real i i i will i will put this out there i think we'll get that long rumored trilogy yeah remaster end of year and then we'll get information on fall with that if not a release date well not a release date but a release window i think they've yeah. got metroid prime trilogy ready to go they're just waiting for a window that they don't have anything else ready to release and they're just going to put it out then just to fill just to fill that month mm. that's that's my theory on that yeah the rumor is it's done and i hope it comes with the spin-offs like hunters and federation force was a good game <laughs> it, it just, just came out at such a was, bad time it wasn't the game people wanted <laughs> no but it actually was a decent game Okay, uh, next up is Splatoon 3, which was a surprise. I didn't think we'd get that till the next Nintendo console. That's coming in 2022. Um, Yeah, uh, they did a lot of world-building stuff with this trailer, uh, which has given a a couple of us hope that there's more emphasis on single-player this time around. Um, I didn't get the DLC for Splatoon 2, which I know Andrew was very, very complimentary of. Maybe when it's on sale next, I might grab that. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, interested but not overexcited for it. Um, if it's anything like Splatoon, I'll play it religiously for like a month and then never play it again. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but Tori, you're the you're the biggest Splatoon fan on the team, I think. So probably. Um, so the the world building that you're describing, I think, is a result of the order versus chaos final fest that mm-hmm. splatoon 2 had so interesting yeah because chaos won that one so because, you're saying um, it's, it's choose your own splatoon <laughs> well splatoon 1 had a um kelly versus marie splat fest mm-hmm. which determined the story of two yeah true to an extent so, I, think, I mean really they could have just flipped them around it really didn't make any difference to the actual <laughs> oh, story yeah but <laughs> this time around it's much more um, considerable. So I, I actually really wonder how they went about if they only just started doing that after the um, Splatfest ended, or if they had a plan for like an order version of the game and a chaos version of the game, or maybe we still will see both in this game in some form. I think we'll maybe see both. I don't see. Yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. Like Pokemon, I don't see a big company like Nintendo like putting development time into two completely different versions of the game and then only going forward with one based on fan votes. I just don't see that happening. They would release both and double dip. I mean, especially with Nintendo, yeah, they love doing that. There's like a lot, lot of little details in this. Um, there's no named genders for this when you're creating your character, which mm-hmm. is nice. I like how Nintendo, instead of going, okay, we'll we'll address every gender, they just go, eh, pick what you want, what looks good. Animal Crossing did that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, you got the little salmonid from Salmon Run in, like a, it's like a companion or something. So, if that's the case, I don't think Salmon Run is returning. <laughs> I hope it does, and I hope they just get rid of that idiotic schedule, which I would have played the loving 
daylights out of Salmon Run, except whenever it was running, I was either asleep or I was at work. I, that that schedule <laughs> was idiotic. It was not the best idea. No. Um, but there, there's also been some changes to like the turf war. Not a huge amount. It's just the like it's got an almost um, battle royale drop in sort of thing mm-hmm. going on with coffee makers. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm just interested to see. It seems like a lot of sort of cosmetic changes rather than it's a completely new iteration. I just hope that you can skip the news at the start. Yes, please. <laughs> I liked the That's news. All I was. Oh my god, I, I had repressed that and you've just brought it back to the forefront. Oh my god. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, uh, and then what I didn't know was happening was BlizzCon and there were a couple of uh, Switch announcements, surprise! Um, so available now is the Blizzard Arcade Collection, uh, which includes Lost Vikings, which is great, Rock and Roll Racing, which I've never played, and Blackthorn, which I don't know what the hell that is. Uh, Blackthorn but... is Prince of Persia with a shotgun. Ah, I've often thought Prince of Persia could be included, uh, improved with a shotgun. So, um... <laughs> that sounds so ominous. <laughs> so that's that's available now. Uh, and also announced Diablo 2 Resurrected. Uh, so let me just say three things on this. Yes, 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 that's coming this year. Andrew, I assume you're you're getting this one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I my life in high school from like age fourteen to age eighteen until World of Warcraft came out which was the only reason this changed my life was diablo 2 it was all i did <laughs> i i thought about it all day at school i planned character builds in my notebook instead of playing paying attention in class then i went straight home and ignored my homework just played diablo 2 until it was time to go to sleep then i woke up the next day and did it all over again <laughs> i have long been on record that diablo 2 would not work on consoles i am amazed that they're doing a console port on this i watched one of the developer videos that they put out during day one of BlizzCon, and I am concerned about how this is going to run on consoles because they they have been very upfront that this is a PC first port, and this is not like Warcraft Three Reforged where they completely redesigned the game. What this is is it's Diablo Two that has a new graphic engine literally overlaid on top of the original game. You can toggle in an option menu. You can turn this off, and you can see the original game operating underneath it. Uh, so like all the potions like you activate your potions using the number keys on your keyboard uh, your abilities you can only have two equipped at a time they're assigned to the left and right mouse buttons the inventory is a grid inventory and you have to play tetris to arrange them it's just not a game that was designed with consoles in mind so i am very concerned about how it's actually going to run but <laughs> I'm very interested to find out, so I, I hope, I hope it, it's good, uh, or, or it's going to be uh, an unbelievable nightmare. But it's coming out probably in November. That's my guess, and I am there. <laughs> uh, Tori, anything to add? No, not really. Um, I'm just hoping that for fans of the game, that it won't turn out like the Warcraft Three remastered thing. <laughs> we don't talk about that. <laughs> Hopefully they've learned their lesson. <laughs> Too many sad memories. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
time while How could you uh, do that to Warcraft 3? Well, Andrew's sobbing uncontrollably. Um, we will move on to the things we've been playing this week. Okay, so uh, what we've been playing, I'll start off uh, with Door Kickers. So, Door Kickers uh, is a top-down SWAT strategy game that's about planning your moves in detail and then watching them play out when you press the play button. Uh, It's almost like programming. Um, I haven't played it, but I believe Door Kickers is similar in concept to Frozen Synapse, and also Rainbow Six on the original N64 has a similar approach but in that one you're actually on the ground level playing yourself as well. So um, so what Door Kickers does is it gives you a top-down map, uh, a bunch of SWAT members, and you must draw in their pathing and select their actions at key points. Uh, and then when you hit play, your choices will play out. So you get uh, different options. So when you, when you decide to go through a door, you can choose different options. So you can open it, you can smash it, you can explode it, you can knock it down with an axe. There's a whole bunch of things you can do there. You can spy through to try and get an idea of how many enemies are on the other side. Uh, as your actions play out, you can pause at any time and reevaluate your choices or take more steps if you needed. So because of that, when I play, I've been doing like a really methodical approach, planning a room at a time. Uh, so, you know, successfully clearing a room, pausing, mapping out my next best available option and going that way. Uh, a cool thing you can do is you can uh, stagger your teammates' actions using executable commands uh, and then trigger them when you want. So if, just as an example, like I wanted a guy to open a door and then the other guy to throw a flashbang through once it was open, not before. So I could set a, a command that I had to trigger. Uh, where he wouldn't throw the flashbang until I pressed the button, meaning that he didn't just throw it at the door and blind my own teammates. Now, uh, if you don't do this, some of the actions can intersect and things will just play out really badly. Now, this is a PC game played with mouse and keyboard, uh, and they have created physical controls specially for this port. Um, Now, the problem is the controls aren't explained very well, so, for example, door breaching game tells you if you draw a path through a door you can then select the breathing, breaching method uh, so I do that uh, I go through the door it puts on a door opening icon uh, and then I move the cursor over to the door icon and it does not give me any options to change the breaching method. If I use the touch screen and press on the icon, perfect I can change the, the method I figured out that when you're drawing the path it treats the door as a waypoint like an action actionable waypoint Uh, and then you can use the bumpers to cycle through all the created waypoints, and that's how you get it to give you the other options. It does not explain this well at all, as neither of high. (laughs) So (laughs) that'll give you uh, an indication of how well that went. Once I got the hang of it, though, it's fine. Uh, It works well both in uh, touchscreen and and physical once you get the the knack of it. A bunch of game modes. The game modes are set up a bit weirdly, so there's a campaign, but you can only unlock it when you get to level 6 in the game's XP-based progression system. Uh, To get to level 6, you need to use the single mission mode, which has 84 uh, preset missions, uh, where the difficulty increases as you play through. Uh, You can also create randomly generated maps in here as well, so that's cool. So, you know, you can keep playing it long after you've beaten everything the game has uh, pre-made for you uh, and every level has like a mobile game ranking system where you need to get three stars by hitting like target time keeping your people alive and 
there was another parameter which escapes me at the moment. Um, I've been trying to keep up with that, but uh, yeah, when, when I get stuck, I, I move on to the next one. Uh, the campaign has six different, they're, they're like mini stories, um, so they're, they're little campaigns with their own set of missions. They've got a loose narrative that follows through. Uh, the campaign modes also have like squad management, so if a squaddy is injured during a mission, uh, they'll be unavailable for the next mission, they take one to, to heal. If they get killed, then they're out of the campaign altogether, so that's a cool thing, it, it sort of enforces you to be careful uh, with your approach. Other part of the progression here is uh, rewards with XP, so every time you level up you'll get a skill point that you can spend on a number of skill trees for each unit class, uh, and you can also use the XP to open up uh, additional classes so like the, the first one you start off with just has pistols the next ones have machine guns uh yeah and then you can also purchase a bunch of uh toys like different grenades and you know smoke grenades all that sort of thing different gadgets just basically to to help you get through it quicker so the more you play the more things you'll have to play with oh yeah there's a, there's also a sniper on some levels so there was a, a mission where I had to take down a drug cartel's like holiday home and they had a sniper positioned out on the ocean, and you basically could, using the directional buttons, you could switch targets and take people out for you by, uh, you know, like luring them out with explosives or whatever. Uh, that was pretty cool. I, I enjoyed that one. Um, so yeah, so it's a it's a very good game. It's a very good strategy game. The controls take a little while to get used to the the quirks of it. Um, I think if you're playing on PC, people would get that a bit quicker. Uh, but it it's on Switch, it runs well, uh, and it's uh, well worth looking at if you're into that kind of like programming style strategy game. Uh, yeah, it's pretty neat. Okay, uh, so Tori, Persona 5 Strikers. I believe you're one mission deep. One jail. They're not called palaces. This uh, okay. yeah. Sorry, Sorry, I'm thinking Muso mission, single mission. That, that makes sense why you said it took six hours now. I understood what you meant, Tori. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably one of the interesting points that I'll, I'll touch on. But just as like an intro to what this actually is, uh, it's described as the uh, sequel to Persona 5, not Royal. Mm -hmm. um, the characters that are introduced in Royal do not show up in this at all. It's much more of a Persona game than it is a Muso in terms of presentation. Uh, Age of Calamity is probably the last Muso spin-off that we're all familiar with. Mm -hmm. That still had the structure of a Muso game in terms of having like established missions. So you had your your um, your layout of like wherever area that you're in, you can move freely between it all. There are objectives that pop up and it's pretty much always full of enemies. With Persona 5 Strikers, the le level layout actually more closely resembles Persona 5. So I describe them as jails, but they, they're not really like a palace. It's not a building or anything. The first jail is actually just Shibuya. Um, I think that's why it was actually called Scramble in Japan is because of the scramble crossing in the middle of Shibuya. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's Tokyo Mirage Session. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually going to make that comparison in terms of the, um, the dungeon design. The puzzles feel much more like Tokyo Mirage Sessions than they do Persona 5. Because Persona 5 was just, this door is locked, we need to find a way around or to unlock the door. With this, it's a little bit more involved. Not hugely, just it does remind me a little bit more of Tokyo Mirage Sessions than it does 
persona because I feel a little bit puzzly. So the combat is probably, you know, the biggest draw to this game. And I played the demo and even the opening of this game kind of makes it feel like it is going to be a Persona Muso game. But the battles are actually not nearly as big as you'd probably be used to. There's still like, you know, in Persona 5, there's still enemies wandering around, you encounter them, you initiate a battle. That's how it works here, but it's not like endless waves of constantly respawning enemies. Mm-hmm. It's just, um, you, you take the mask off if you're doing an ambush or you attack it, and then maybe a handful of enemies show up. Sometimes they're tough, sometimes they're not. You kill them all and then you move on. Um, the, the, it doesn't have like the large set pieces compared to, I mean, the only other Muso games I've played were Fire Emblem Warriors and Hyrule Warriors, but they still had that sort of grand scale of just hundreds or thousands of enemies on the field. Mm-hmm. This isn't that. That's um, yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd, heard, I'd heard that it was um, not like a Muso game, like it didn't feel like a Muso game, and that made me very happy, and... Uh, I do want to pick it up. I just don't feel that I can fit it in at the moment. So yeah, but th- those differences do excite me. That that makes me way more interested in it. It's got like the long dialogue sessions that Persona Five has as well. Mm-hmm. So it, it's going to feel much more familiar to Persona fans than to Muso fans. I think you get all of the Phantom Phoebes right out, out of the gate, mm-hmm. which I really liked. They all have the the different play styles. Like Ryuji can kind of charge up his swing. Mm-hmm. Um, Makoto just brings out the motorcycle and just hoons around for a bit <laughs> and I also really liked that there was one particular part in the first uh, jail where you could jump on a skateboard and just like you know how Link does the shield surf mm-hmm. move yeah you could do that with a skateboard <laughs> um, it's interesting I don't think it's got like the same level of storytelling as the first one like that felt very particularly crafted in like the themes of the seven sins and the palaces like the palaces were all buildings that kind of represented not just the characters but the the theme of phantom themes this is yet another persona game with an alice in wonderland themed first level (laughs) i think persona q was the other one yeah that had one yeah it's it uh, i don't know it's not bad it's just it's not a persona game by the same standards as the original persona 5 mm-hmm. it's continuing a story but it's not really it's its own thing it it's more spin-off than sequel in my opinion kind of like the um persona 4 arena games okay well that's cool i like i like arena yeah it's it's that type of storytelling it's not really developing the characters further it's just another adventure with the team Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I mean, also, they would want to put those story evolutions into a core sequel if they were going to do such a thing. Um, yeah, exactly. It's just that this was very explicitly labelled as a sequel. Mm-hmm. Like, the announcement trailer had the S turn into a 2. Mm-hmm. So they see it as a sequel, but it's it's a sequel in the sense that it happens after the first one, not that it continues from the first one if that yeah some sense. of the reviews I, I saw were absolutely convinced it was a worthy successor and everything so yeah but i i wouldn't myself i wouldn't have expected them to be like you know character evolving stories or anything just like say another 
let's have another another adventure like that sort of thing yeah i mean the part that i'm up to is the road trip part of it where mm-hmm. i'm actually going all around japan as like a as a summer trip yep so i'm excited to see how that plays out the the real test will be when you finish the game do you feel utterly destroyed that you're leaving your pretend friends because i'm not ready to think about that yet at both the end of Persona 4 Golden and at the end of Persona 5, I was distraught. And, uh, yeah, just laying uh, on your back in the bed, just staring yeah, at the ceiling like, going, what do I do now? I, I miss those guys. So when I got to something <laughs> like Persona 4 Arena, it was like, yay, we're catching up. Um, I think, yeah, and they're counting on that, I reckon. Yeah. Because it, it, it's really not anything... Like I, I don't think that if you're not a Persona fan you'll enjoy this it it doesn't feel like like i reckon like age of calamity you could still jump in like it's its own story mm-hmm. whereas this just throws every character at you at the beginning and it feels a bit overwhelming if you don't know who these people are so it's essential to play the first game really or at least watch the anime it's not a good anime but it'll <laughs> catch you up stirring recommendation yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I assume you will keep us updated on your progress on that uh, and how you feel when you finish it and if it evolves much beyond how you've explained because that, that, like you say, you're only at the end of the first proper area so there's a chance for it to evolve. Oh, for sure. I mean, like Persona 5, I didn't think too much of the castle uh, palace, to be mm-hmm. honest. But yeah, we'll see. Cool. Uh, the side effect there is it has made me want to go back to Persona 4 Golden. Uh, which I started a second playthrough on PC, and I, I stopped just after getting to Kanji's. Uh, not I can't remember what they called it now. Uh, his his world. Um, his dungeon. So yeah, I'm just gonna say dungeon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, his his dungeon. Um, God, I miss it. <laughs> I think Persona Four has my favorite characters in it. Yeah, it, it has. Like I like Five a lot, but Four is way better. Like I don't think anyone could dispute that. And I think this five is the most stylish. Five is also way too long. <laughs> yeah, it drags around a particular fast food themed mm-hmm. palace as well. Yeah, yeah, it's still great. It's just a little over long, which is part of the reason why I didn't jump in on Royal. Uh, and the fact that this doesn't follow on from Royal makes me glad. I think uh, even if I think it technically could, um, the story for Royal is done in a particular way where they don't necessarily have to bring those characters back. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the most, the least spoilery way I can describe it. They die. I don't know that. I'm joking. Um, <laughs> Tori will keep us updated on how that goes. Okay, well, I'll talk about 80s Overdrive, which I wasn't expecting to play this week. Uh, it was on sale. It was a couple of bucks. Uh, my wife grabbed it and it looked interesting, so I, I decided to grab it as well. Uh, so... 80s Overdrive is basically an OutRun homage. Yeah. Uh, so OutRun is an old arcade game. Uh, it's point-to-point races in a fictional, colourful version of America. With a smoking hot babe riding shotgun. Yeah, there's no smoking hot babe in this one. They, they've decided to be woke. What the um, hell's the point, then? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the premise is you get from point A to point B by dodging cars, cops, and pedestrian vehicles. Not pedestrian vehicles. Public vehicles. Civilian vehicles? Civilian vehicles. Why am I blanking on the right word? Um, Yeah, so uh, with that, the handling is exactly the same as OutRun in that it's unrealistic. Uh, Typical of really old arcade games where they couldn't 
uh, mimic real car physics. But it's super fun to as like a, a dodge em up basically, um, and it's also got that arcade thing where hitting other cars will slow you down, but it doesn't seem to affect them very much. Raises eyebrow. Um, as the title suggests, it's all about being eighties themed. So you create a character profile, you will pick a portrait uh, of a character, and they're all obviously eighties icons. There's an Arnie picture, there's a Grace Jones picture, Sweet. there's a Nicholas. There's a Nicolas Cage picture. Is he really an 80s icon? Yeah, he got started in the 80s. He was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He did a few cult movies. He was in uh, Raising Arizona in the 80s. Oh, that was a good film. I didn't realize that was 80s. So, uh, yeah, so that's interesting. Um, I'm amazed that they have done this and not got sued for using people's likenesses, but hey, (laughs) because it's it's literally just like an 80s-styled image trace. That also brings me on to another point. Uh, So the music is pumping electro music uh, so there's this weird video game disconnect where between what 80s music actually was and what game developers seem to think it is but uh it is the music is really good it's a, it's really uh energetic electro house music so, so it's synth wave no it's it's okay. just it's it's electro house it's all the same interesting yeah no it's not it's not <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, so you, there's a campaign, uh, and in this campaign, I, I found it surprisingly meaty for for what it is. Uh, so you get a map of uh, it's like a circle map of uh, of America for some reason, um, and there's stars which represent races. Uh, each race will earn you money, which you can then use to upgrade the vehicle that you buy. Uh, but you also need to consider fixing your car because you will take damage during races and managing its fuel. And if you spend too much, you can't pay the entry fee for races, which means you then have to wash cars to earn money, which takes forever. <laughs> uh, so don't make that mistake. I love it too early. Um, but yeah, so you can uh, you can actually ruin the game for yourself for a good chunk if you spend money too much. Uh, so yeah, so you buy a car, you get upgrades. So the first things I bought were nitros and uh, police scanners then you can do your stats which are speed dur- durability and handling i'm sure i'll get to the point where you yeah, where i'll need to buy another car and then go through the whole process again because uh, it will get more difficult etc etc uh, and another interesting thing is sometimes you will get offered a mission uh, before a race which basically means you need to collect x amount of MacGuffin. uh for a money bonus i've had no negative effects for failing a mission yet so i don't know if that's going to crop up uh so with it being an outrun uh homage the graphics you know very much ape outrun so it's a faux 16 bit visuals the the car is uh like a flat image of the back and then when you turn left and right it will do like the slight shift in the blink of an eye but what i really like about this is the tracks themselves like the backgrounds are amazing looking and i think it's the use of color that that is the strongest point on that like uh just the way they transition and they give the the impression of like if there's one where there's a sunset the the this fake impression of the the sun glaring in your face is it's it's really beautiful emotion that's about the gist of it so my verdict kind of is the enjoyment will boil down to if you like the mechanics of outrun uh people who are only familiar with modern racing games will probably struggle uh, i only paid a couple of bucks for it um 
So it's even from that aspect, it's too hard to be mad at it. Um, but in terms of handling people who like Outrun, would, would definitely be into it. Um, I'm actually really enjoying the campaign. Uh, I it's the it's a the setup is the sort of thing that's keeping me playing playing rather than uh, a standard arcade setup would you know where it's just like continue doing races would just I think that would lose me for this specific subgenre like other racing games I'm happy to just keep doing the same race until I win or get better lap times or whatever but uh, yeah this one would lose me if it didn't have the uh, the progression that it does so yeah for a couple of bucks absolutely worth a look um, I reckon there's uh, at least a couple of hours worth of play in this I think um, how long to beat said maybe five hours so yeah worth a look if, if you enjoyed Out- Outrun and uh, that sort of racer is is your jam. Okay, and the final game we're going to talk about is uh, Cathedral, uh, which Andrew's played, which is shock horror, an 8-bit retro adventure platformer. Long may they reign! Uh, Cathedral is an 8-bit retro adventure platformer. It's from a developer called Decemberborn Interactive, uh, and was previously released on Steam under their publishing uh, attempts, or however that works. Uh, but on Switch, it's actually published by Elden Pixels, who made the Always Awakening and Always Legacy adventure platformers that I played last year, and I enjoyed both of them. Uh, so that kind of gives you an idea of how the game is set up. Uh, it's a very similar style of very classic NES-era adventure platformer, something along the line of you know Metroid or Castlevania 2, but much larger, made with more modern design sensibilities. Really, if I was trying to sell this game to somebody, I would say it's just Hollow Knight with 8-bit graphics. That's the closest thing to it. If you really want to go that far, you could say it's Shovel Knight with Metroid design. That works too. Uh, How it works is, uh, at the start of the game, me, I mean, that's literally how the game seems to be set up, is uh, I'm not controlling a different character in this world, it's literally me has been dropped into this cathedral in another world, and I'm in this suit of armor, and based on what happens when I die, where my suit of armor just collapses into pieces, like, I'm just this empty spirit inhabiting this suit of armor, and I'm in this cathedral. And the first thing that happens in the game is you get a quest that pops up. It says, explore the cathedral. So I set out into the cathedral, and I meet this mischievous spirit almost right away who starts stealing stuff that I'm trying to collect, so I chase after it. Along that merry route, I I find items like my shield, which I can use to block projectiles and certain enemy attacks, and this isn't like a shield in any other game where it's there, but you never use it. You, I use the shield all the time in this game. It's a very useful item. And then I also find the Magnus apparatus, which is a wrist-mounted crossbow, and it's, it's, really, it's a really important item. It keeps coming up in the plot. Uh, and I keep chasing the spirit. Eventually, the spirit leads me to this room that has the boss in it. The boss is called Augur, Guardian of the Cathedral, who is like this giant floating eye who shoots projectiles at me and has this shield around it powered by four crystals and to smash the crystals i have to shoot candles in the room with the magnus apparatus that'll make the crystals vulnerable then i can destroy the crystals then the shield will come down then i can fight the boss uh it's got really good boss designs and augur is just the first one and then after i beat augur uh, the spirit steals this orb that Augur drops, and is like, hey, I want that. Stop stealing my stuff, Mr. Spirit. And finally I catch up with the spirit and find out the spirit is in a situation very similar to me, that they've ended up in this cathedral. They don't know how they got there or how to get out. But we have found this door 
that is opened by five orbs. And hey, we just found the first one. And so the rest of the game is finding those other four orbs and bringing them through this door. It's very standard adventure platformer design. But once that happens, then I can leave the cathedral. The world really opens up at that point, and I can start exploring swamps and forests and cities and caves and that kind of thing. And the big upgrade system in the game is all powered by gold. And everywhere I go, I find gold. If I, I defeat enemies, they drop gold. I smash open containers, I find gold. And I need gold to upgrade my character. When I die, I lose 10% of my gold. But one of the upgrades I can buy from a shop actually reduces the amount gold percentage that I drop. So right now with my upgrades, I only lose 9% of my gold every time I die. So that really incentivizes you to spend your gold and store your excess gold in the bank instead of just wandering around building it up because the more gold you have the more you lose when you die and that sucks because some of the upgrades later on get really expensive i can also buy upgrades that increase the amount of damage that my healing potion heals and then you have your healing potion that you can restore in town and you can also restore at certain statues so a little bit of a dark souls thing there and then there are passive upgrades you can buy for your armor there is upgrades that like reduce the amount of damage that your armor protects you against but for the most part it's more passive upgrades like right now i have a one percent chance to not take any damage at all when i get hit and then there are many of those kind of upgrades to either find in the world or to buy so you can build up to like you know a five percent chance to take no damage when you get hit which is significantly more useful a one in 20 chance versus a one in 100 chance that's kind of how the upgrade systems in this work. And there are also a lot of quests you can find. Like the main side quest is there are 100 lost library books you need to find and bring back to the first town that you run across. But also somebody in town mentioned that there was a sword hidden in the forest. And that's part of the forest was a pretty big side area that there was really no other reason to go there except to find this sword. It was this whole area with its own set of puzzles to solve, and then it had its own boss at the end before I got this sword, and then that was a pretty nice upgrade. So I really felt rewarded for finding this side area and getting that sword. I thought that was pretty well put together. And then the quest log is also really good about tracking the many different steps of the main quest that you're working on. It keeps track of how many orbs you found for the door, but also the steps of each quest along the way to getting the next orb individually so it's pretty hard to be confused about what you need to be doing next or where you need to be going next which is good because this is a freaking massive world if you go on the eShop page and look at the video they they make a point of scrolling across just how big this world is. This this puts Metroid and Castlevania to shame for just how massive it is. And, you know, I, I followed along from that point through the game. I defeated the Necromancer and the second boss, so I've gotten three of the five orbs now, and I'm about ten hours, eight, ten hours into the game, so it's a pretty good chunk of adventure platformer, and I've been enjoying it. The only real problem I have with it right now is it's it's hopelessly generic. It looks like nothing. The name is Cathedral. That, that's a terrible name. I can't discern anything about the game except that it's set in a cathedral, which it is even which it isn't even that. Uh, just the cathedral is the first area in the game, and it's the last area in the game. Uh, there's a whole other world to explore besides that. And then, you know, you got your knight in armor who is not exactly an exciting thing to look at. Lots of standard things. Like, you, there's the Shovel Knight series, and who also is all about knights, but they have really distinctive looks for their knights. This knight character is just 
a knight. He's not much to look at. So th there's there's stuff going on under the hood. There's some pretty good writing on the side characters. There's that whole thing with the spirit. There's the whole idea of the knight is literally me inhabiting this suit of armor, but I'm like a spirit in this world versus, you know, just a, an amnesiac hero with nothing going on inside their head. Super boring. So there's stuff going on here. It's just the presentation is not living up to the quality of the game design and what's really happening in the story. I, I think that's letting the game down a little bit. But that, that's really my only complaint about it, is I wish it had a better name, and I wish it was more distinct to look at. Because it, I think it's a, a good quality adventure platformer game, and if you're a fan of this genre, I do recommend it. Okay guys, so what are we playing in this coming week? Uh, Tori, we'll start with you. Um, more Persona 5 Strikers, really. Just seeing how it pans out from here. And what about Bravely Default 2? Nope. <gasps> That's twice you've disappointed me this week. I think we've discovered that Tori doesn't like retro RPGs. This is going to be a problem. I don't hate them. They're just, it's not my genre. That's what I say when I say I don't hate something. When I do. I'm, I'm going <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna to go and play the Bravely Default 2 demo just to spite you. Um, uh, Andrew, what about you? I'm going to play Hellpoint, which is a uh, Souls-like action RPG coming up that, mm. from the trailer, looks a lot like Dead Space if it was Dark Souls, which I'm like, yeah, sign me up for that. And I'm going to play Bravely Default 2 with my finger held mightily in the direction of Australia. <laughs> hey, I'm here too. So I'm, I'm definitely a lock-in for Bravely Default 2, uh, and my plan is to start it on my main Switch, and then when I get to the point where I want to play other stuff, I will then move it onto my Switch Lite and play it as in between and chip away at it that way i do want hellpoint i would get it day one if we had physical copies arriving in australia which we don't uh so i uh, the price it's at i i will probably hold off also eyeing up a couple of shorter games on my backlog there that will be to to be concluded i'll i'll let you know <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of N Focus. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure you check out our sister shows, PlayState and Power of X. That's for PlayStation and Xbox, respectively. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively GamePodular community. You can also follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook and at GamePodular.com for updates, news and other content. Links for all this are in our show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a GamePodular Patreon. The details for those are on our website. Thanks in advance. This episode was edited by Andy and you can follow him at Flame Roast Toast on Twitter. You can also follow Andrew at Play Critically and also check out his long-form reviews at playcritically.com, and you can follow myself at stew2, S-T-W-T-W-O. Yeah.
That what I'm going to use in the end. <laughs> I said dead space, right? Not something stupid like dead cells. No, you said dead space. Oh, good. Whereas I keep thinking Dark Souls meets Doom. But same thing, really. Play more games, Andy.
<laughs> I've played Dead Space. Not three, though, because that's not worth my time. <laughs> that doesn't count. Uh, I'd take Dead Space Trilogy on Switch, by the way. This is, I would this too, is not going in the show. I, would, I want that. I would take it, and, and then I would not play Dead Space 3. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, 